Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. Cliff Ravenscraft here. In today's episode, I am delighted to feature another personal one-on-one conversation with a member of my community that has been a source of encouragement and friendship and camaraderie for, I think, probably more than a decade Anyway, we share a passion for podcasting. We share a passion for television shows and podcasting about television shows and just so many more things in life. But like many people, it's only just become known to me that there have been some similarities in our spiritual path as a result of me opening up more in the Cliff Ravenscraft show and in the broader social media space, I've kind of just said, you know what, I'm not really concerned anymore whatsoever about what anybody thinks about me and what I believe today. I'm going to be the fullest expression of myself. And so I've let people know that I have left that world of evangelical Protestant fundamentalist in my background uh, view of Christianity and, and view of my relationship with God. And I've gone through what's called a spiritual awakening. And I'm going through and, you know, a deconstruction process and maybe even a reconstruction. So now that I've been open to this and sharing it so publicly, I got this email from Troy Heinrichs. And he says, Cliff, oh my gosh, I've really enjoyed what you've been sharing. 40 plus years in evangelical Protestant Christianity myself. Today, I consider myself to be more spiritual, maybe, than Christian, and we could have a conversation about that. He shared this email, and I'm like, dude, we should have a conversation, EOTC, just the two of us. And so, with that, I am now going to invite my great friend, Troy Heinrichs, onto the show. Troy, how are you? I'm amazing, Cliff. Every day gets better and better, and I'm just so thankful that uh, you're on your journey, and I'm on my journey, and our journeys are colliding at the same time. Uh, just the, the universe making its magic the way it, it always does. The way it always does. I love that. So you said 40 plus years in evangelical Protestant Christianity. For you, what did that look like? What what branches, where did you play, what playground did you play in in that area? Yeah, very similar to your journey, Cliff. Uh, started out, you know, baptized at the very young age, you know, one year old. Uh, went into the Lutheran uh, sect because that's what our family believed in at that time, even though the grandparents were Catholic. Uh, I actually married my wife, who was from a Catholic background, although not practicing at the time, but did attend Catholic high school. Uh, for myself, I did grow up uh, 12 years parochial education, right? Lutheran K-8, through Lutheran high school. Uh, I got to that point and said, I am no way in any way, shape or form going to Milwaukee Lutheran 2.0 when I went going to a Concordia college. So I decided at that point, that was my first kind of like, I don't want to be in this labeled Missouri Synod Lutheran branch any longer. I want to see what other walks of life there are with my God journey. And lo and behold, the first place I ended up on college campus was at the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod fellowship house (laughs) and found my, my people there. Um, but then I moved into uh, radio sales and actually one of my clients was an evangelical free church. Uh, and we actually moved into the more of the EV free space for a while. And then when we moved to Chicago in the early 2000s, we were looking for a home congregation and we found our home congregation at Prince of Peace 
here in Chicago. And it was just, it was amazing. It was actually the Sunday after 9-11. And so you just knew that there was something at work that brought us to this place, that moved us to this place. And of course, went to the church, had no idea what it was, just enjoyed the service and everything. And of course, as we pulled out of the parking lot and went by the sign, did we see that it was a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod (laughs) congregation? (laughs) And I was just like, I can't quit you. It's like Brokeback Mountain. Um, And then uh, as we moved along with that congregation right over 20 years, uh, I moved into positions of leadership. I I taught uh, 7th and 8th grade junior high children's ministry. I moved into being a member of the board of directors. I've moved into being on the uh, actual chair of the board of directors as we went through an entire three-year, what do you want to call it, transformation guide. We rebranded the church. We came up with a new philosophy, ways of living, uh, value system, measurements, and all of that fun stuff. And it was, you know, as we kind of came out of that board of directorship era and moved into the the pandemic and the 2020 election where I was like, I saw more of the congregation and more of people that affiliated with the congregation that weren't acting in a Jesus-like manner, right? I wouldn't even say Christian-like manner because Christian seems to be a weird term now that defines a certain group of people. And I don't think that my relationship with God or Jesus is defined by a label. I think it's a personal journey with myself. And then it's an ability for me to share with other people um, what that journey is and have conversations with people like yourself on these journeys that we're on with an all powerful, all knowing being that helps create space, creates energy, creates love across the entire universe. So where do you end up today? So it sounds to me like you, in your email to me, you said that you began to experience this spiritual awakening after the 2020 election, after being appalled by the way you saw Christians interacting and treating other Christians. So the spiritual awakening, how did that occur? What did it look like for you? And what, if any, change did it have in your relationship with the local congregation? Yeah, right now, my biggest step, I think, initially was the fact that I actually taught those seventh and eighth graders. um, We actually taught part of the curriculum was actually world religions. So we taught them about Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Mormon and what are the differences between the two. And then we talked about also the differences between Protestant and Catholic and, uh, you know, just the variations of what do people believe in versus the, the bread and wine has changed into the body and blood, the bread and wine is the body and blood or the bread and wine becomes or is at the same time. And all these little nuances that man has decided to throw into what would be a spiritual sacrament. And that was like the first eye opening of like, it sounds like we all kind of believe the same thing. We just do it in our own way. And I'm like, well, that seems like that's okay. It doesn't seem like that should be an issue. I shouldn't be fighting with Muslim people and I shouldn't be fighting with Hindu people or Buddhist people or trying to change their beliefs and how they look at the world. I should be learning from them and commuting in harmony with them and trying to expand both of our knowledges in a shared existence. And I think that was kind of the, the, the first awakening at that point. And then the second awakening came when I actually met a pretty devout Catholic 
And he was doing all kinds of things that would not be considered very Catholic like. And I was like, this is interesting to me. Like you do all these things, but you call yourself Catholic. And he's like, yeah, because my Catholic journey is my own. It's my relationship with God and how God sees me. And God knows that in my heart, I'm doing the things that I'm doing for the betterment of the rest of humanity because I have good friendships. I have good relationships. I love my partner. I, I do all these things and I'm just like, wow, that's really great. And then um, he died very, very suddenly in 2021. And the stories that I heard from his friends at the funeral, at the wake from his building after he had passed away, I was like, wow, this man had a really profound impact on a lot of people and none of them had a bad thing to say. So if he's doing these alternative lifestyle type things that are non-Catholic and people still love him, then is it really about trying to hold the law and trying to follow the rules? Or is it really more about just following the four agreements and being a good person and trusting people and just putting your best self out there every day and let the world happen to you as it happens to you? You know, my first experience like that, I love the fact that you bring in the idea of somebody who's Catholic, which many would consider to be Christian, although there's Protestant sects that would suggest otherwise. But still, you Catholic, very much biblical-based church, and, and one would say maybe even the mother of the, uh, the tree, the, what do you call it, the family tree of the Protestant church. So... I love that you bring that in because it reminds me of a story early on, and this was back in the 2011 timeframe. This was before my spiritual awakening and being influenced with any religious text or beliefs or spiritual paths outside of biblical Christianity. I'll never forget when I decided to leave the institution of the church. We stopped going to weekly congregational gatherings, and we haven't been back since 2011. But when we left that, I had a pastor friend of mine who was very close to me, and I thought for sure our friendship would be impacted by my decision for myself, my, my, my wife and I's decision to leave the institution, given the fact that he's a pastor, right? No, he he actually says, Cliff, matter of fact, I want you, he goes, I I am so thrilled you got out of that church. I've heard, I've been listening to you in your EOTC podcast. Actually, it was called About the Church at the time. The name of the name change of the podcast happened as a result of this. But uh, he goes, I, dude, I listen to you all the time. He goes, Cliff, number one, you are a pastor. You have a church. You're, you're always in relationship with other followers of Christ. So... Um, by all means, that church that you were in, it was toxic. I, I heard some of the things, and, and, and he's, he and I had been in private conversations as well. He goes, I think it's the best thing. He goes, I don't know if you'll ever go back or not, but whether you do or don't, that doesn't matter. It's your relationship with God. And he sent me a book in the mail called Ruthless Trust, and it was by Brennan Manning. And then later, I read a book called all is Grace, which was a memoir of Brennan Manning, which was co-written with an author because he was kind of old and uh, experiencing some some physical ailments. Anyway, what I learned, but have you ever heard of the name Brennan Manning, by the way? 
That thing does not ring a bell to me. That's fine. Have you ever heard of the name Rich Mullins? Yes. And the Ragamuffin, uh, the Rab- Ragamuffin Band. Oh, yeah. So sure. Rich Mullins, his pastor, his mentor, his spiritual mentor, if you will, was Brennan Manning. He would listen to Brendan Manning all the time. That was his source of inspiration. That was his source of of you know just that biblical inspiration. That he was the source of that teaching. And so Brendan Manning would fill churches and stadiums, hundreds of people, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. This is Brendan Manning. So and and he actually wrote a book called The Rag Ragamuffin Gospel. Turns out that Brennan Manning was a raging alcoholic throughout his entire life. Mm. A raging alcoholic during his preaching ministry, all throughout his preaching ministry. So here you are having a guy who is absolutely addicted to alcohol, trying at times and failing miserably almost all of the time. He's literally preaching and to let's just say five, six, seven thousand people, and that night he passes out drunk. And yet God used him in such an incredibly powerful way. And so this is the whole idea of ruthless trust and you know ruthless grace and all this other stuff and all his grace. Anyway, that was a very impactful message for me. And, and this is one thing that my friend David Foster told me. He says, Cliff, there's nothing you can do that will ca- cause God to love you more. And there's nothing you will ever do to get God to love you less. It's all grace. And, I, and I'm like, dude, that just does not resonate. I know that that's what the Bible says. I know that, but it's, it's faith without works, and it's this and that, and it's all this other stuff. So much conditioned beliefs that I had. It's like, no, I'm not good. I, sh- I should feel a great level of guilt and shame all of the time. That's how I know that God is speaking to And if I don't feel guilt and shame about all this stuff that I'm doing and thinking and and thoughts that come through my mind, then then I'm not. Anyway, it was such a freeing thing. Which means you're going to do all of these things then to earn the love and trust back, which is like, well, I thought that was contradictory to the fact that I didn't have to do anything because it was a free gift. Yeah. And you're just like, this doesn't make sense in my head. Like, I don't under, I don't get what they're saying anymore. Yeah. And, and it goes right against what Paul says. Listen, for me, everything is permissible. Not everything's right. beneficial, but it's permissible. Anyway, so that was, I love that you bring that up. So what I heard you say, though, is that you're teaching these seventh and eighth graders and you begin teaching them world religions. For me, 2020 was the very first time I was ever introduced. No, that's not true. 2020 was the first time I ever gave myself permission to seriously consider what anyone other than the people who believe in the Bible as the sole authority on God thinks, believes, or experiences of God. And I'm hearing that that's kind of what you were doing when you had this you were teaching these things. These are the things that these other religions teach. Is is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I don't want to call it a spiritual awakening at the time per sense, but it was the first time where I was like, I don't even know what these other religions believe. Right. So I had to do some research. I had to do some studying. I had to understand, like you talk about, um, you know, the Muslim faith and Islam, they, they just, the dedication to 
prayer, to family, to giving to the community, to tithing and that kind of thing. And it's like, man, like they just live a certain way where they just, it's, it's, I don't know if it's rules based and they follow the rules kind of like we were conditioned to follow the 10 commandments and follow the two laws and all of that stuff. Or if it's truly just a way of life that you're just so thankful for living, you want to do these things. Um, but it was like, it's, it's on a, it was a whole, to me, it was a whole other level than what Christians were doing. And I'm like, are we, are we failing because we're not living that way? Like, should we be living that way? You know, this full dedicated to our faith concept or, you know, are, are we doing it wrong? Or is it truly all of this stuff that we're doing because there's four different versions of it is man-made, right? Even the Bible, 66 inspired words of God, quote unquote, um, is decided upon by men. It's not decided upon by God. There's people that still have this conversation about, you know, the missing books in the Catholicism space and everything. And I'm just like, there's a lot in here that is just over time from when God existed in the Old Testament to when Jesus existed in the New Testament that has just gotten, I don't want to say warped, that's not the right word, but bent in a way that fits the existence of the time and space that we're currently living in today. So I'm sure there is a religion that fits the 2020 post-pandemic era that's currently being formed that will become the majority religion in the next 10 to 15 years Um, because it's all interpretation at the end of the day. And who better to interpret my existence and my experience than myself in that one-on-one personal relationship on my journey. And then how I view that, follow the four agreements, follow the two laws of God, love God, you know, with your heart, soul, and mind and all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two rules, right? That's why there were two tablets. Right side was, you know, God's message for God. And then the left side was God's message for the people when Moses came down and he crushed all the work they did after 40 days by throwing them at the golden calf. Um, and, and, and that's when I just started kind of like slowly understanding, like I have to understand what do I believe at the end of the day? Not what are people telling me to believe? What do I believe and what do I stand for and how do I show up on a regular basis? And that led into 2020 finally being convicted in my faith to say, you know, I don't believe what the label Christian means anymore. I am a Christ follower. I believe in the teachings of the bearded man from Galilee and that he had a lot to say because he's Christ consciousness or God's consciousness brought on earth in the form of a man. Um, But I don't believe what the Pope says or what the head of the Lutheran church, Missouri synod says, or what the, because it's all rule man based. I mean, that's what religion by definition is, right? Religion is a set of rules. Um, I don't think I should have to live with a set of rules. I should live with guidance from the one who created me. Yeah, that's one of the things that occurred to me in this process is just how many times did Jesus say, "Listen, I come here," and and he and I I I also am the, of the firm belief that Jesus was the incarnate of the consciousness of God or Christ consciousness, that he was the Christ. So he said that you know, hey. I'm here with you now. I, in this physical form, will leave. But yet he did say, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you until the very end of the age, which is that Christ consciousness. That that, That has never left. 
and he came to remind us of our connection with him through that in the whole that's that was the whole message anyway is my interpretation and my belief today but even when he said that one of the things that i just don't understand is this worship of the bible this worship of a book it was it's not god the father god the son and god the holy bible and that's what I can't understand today, how I got so sucked into this whole idea of the Bible being the number one, the authority, the one source of the word of God. How did it become the word of God rather than uh, what Jesus said, I, I will give you my spirit. You, my spirit will dwell within you. My, you, will be, you will hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And instead, we have been given a book and said, hey, don't trust that voice. Your heart is evil and wicked and depraved. You can't trust that. But you can trust this book and try to live in accordance with it. And oh, by the way, we have some rules to help you incorporate this book that you can't understand on your own. And and the fact that when I sit down and go through it, the only way to really understand, how many times have I been told, even though I went to a Nazarene Bible college, even though I went and studied this for years, even before I went and studied for ministry, I'm sitting here reading all these. How many times have I been told, well, unless you know the original Greek and Hebrew, you have no hope of truly understanding what is being said here? I'm like, okay. So not only do I need a book, but now I need to devote my life to learning Greek, learning Hebrew, so that I can actually find out what the original words were, what they originally meant. But that's not good enough. I need to become a student of the culture of the time so that I can actually know why these things were being said these ways. So now God's like, wait a second. Ah, I know what I'll do. I will give a book for all humanity. But these people will not only have to read the book, they will have to learn the original language of Greek. They will need to all learn the original language of Hebrew. They will all need to learn the historical culture of every person and every story ever written in the Bible to understand the true meaning of what I'm trying to communicate to them. Or, you know what? They'll have to rely on Josh McDowell, Chuck Swindoll, or all of these other preachers to tell them So there'll be a select few people who are authorized to give them instruction on what this book I give to them. (laughs) Which how can I that's exactly what was modeled, right? Jesus came down in in his time and he picked twelve people to be his voice. He didn't pick parchment A five left margin adjusted documents written down these these things are written down were the notes of the 12 messengers that were chosen to spread the word of god who were enlightened by the holy spirit so are there not messengers today that are very similar to what the disciples were yeah and 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 i that's one of the things i i still love and i respect the scriptures the the bible has some amazing things in there and i believe that those who wrote tr- genuinely believed what they were hearing from God was of of what was necessary for them and their people at the time. I'm not questioning all of that. It's just, is that, was, was there any intent 
either on God's part, and I question even the intent of any person who ever penned any written word that's covered in the Bible today, that this should be a document that all humanity turns to as an authority on what God does or does not want you to do with your life. And And is it no different than a medical journal? where we have these really great, amazing scholars that do medical journal and medical experiments. And this is the authority on diabetes and this is the authority on cancer. And this is the authority on Lou Gehrig's disease and how we treat the common cold. It's like, it's the same thing. Somebody breathed into them the ability to do miracles in the form of medicine and they documented their experience so that future generations would have that knowledge rather than saying, but this is the only way you can do it. What happens if we found a better way to cure diabetes, right? The drug Manjaro is on the market right now doing amazing things. Didn't exist five years ago, right? Does that mean we stop progress because it's been written down once or do we continue progress and building upon the language and the ability of the things that we've had taught before us? Yeah. One of the things things that, again, that inspires me about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is there are things that were written in there it's like, okay, why is this? Why do you only wear clothing of one material? And and it's recommended it's either this material or that material. And of course, this is written thousands of years ago in a time where they did not know the molecular structure of all this different stuff and things of that nature. But science today, well, depending on what science you look into, and I'm, I'm totally into some of the woo-woo science. And I am a firm believer in the quantum uh, physics idea that everything is energy, everything is vibration, everything is frequency. I'm very much influenced today by the idea that we have an energetic field of our body. We have a Taurus field of energy. We have uh, different centers that are energy centers in our body. You might call them chakras. Uh, And so these things, this energy that can flow in and through and around our body and this field that's around us can be impeded by clothing of varying frequencies. It can actually cause us to have lower energy. And so it's it's been scientifically studied that the materials that were suggested only wear clothing of one linen and it should be either this or that. These are the highest vibrating frequency linens that are said to uh, actually not only not impede your energetic field, but to also amplify it, to actually have you experience even more. And this is why this was suggested back then. And and for me, that's just an indicator for me as, as a as a confirmation that this some of these things that were written, some of these things that were given to those who were in tune with the Christ consciousness in the Old Testament who wrote down these things were receiving this as inspiration, even if they themselves did not understand the scientific nature of it. So, but just because of that doesn't mean that, okay, now I should just believe that everything in the Bible is how I ought to interpret it and live my life today. And someone's going to sit there and say, you know, that woo-woo energy stuff, that's that's all like mumbo jumbo. And it's like, well, here, let me put it into a practical example for you. Do you own a pair of transition lenses? where you walk outside and then because the UV light is hitting your glasses, they turn a different way so that they protect your retinas from not getting burned out by the sun. That is light energy. That is cosmic energy 
it's no different than the energy that's flowing within us. All, all life in the universe is built up of uh, atoms and matter and neurons and electrons and protons. And it's, it's all from that same stuff. So like if we practically can see it in those examples, why can we not practically see it in a spiritual plane versus a physical plane in that regard? Exactly. And for those who would poo-poo the whole energy field and stuff like that, there's very little you and I are going to be able to do in this conversation to convince them otherwise anyway. But I, right. I, I love that. Maybe it's something worth thinking about. So, Troy, in, our, in your email that you sent me, you mentioned something about this whole idea of law of attraction and um, that something about the concept of self versus selfishness. And yes. I've, I've, I listen, have you ever listened to Abraham Hicks? Nah, not Abraham Hicks. No, I know of the name though. So Abraham Hicks, for anybody who's hearing this for the very first time, is a non-physical source energy uh, collective. <laughs> I love that. I just like, just throw this stuff out now. <laughs> so it is basically a collective consciousness that is channeled through Esther Hicks. And she she goes into a trance state and then speaks and you know th- you know speaks in a tr- the the words and the energy that is being sent to her to give as a message from source energy from the collective of non physical beings that call themselves Abraham just for the sake of having a name to refer to anyway. People go sounds and very, it, it sounds very similar to talking in tongues when the Holy Spirit shows up because we got to give it the name of Holy Spirit because we'd have to have some name for it because we don't know how else to define it. Yeah. So anyway, so Esther Hicks uh, has the Abraham Hicks has these teachings and people come now to these workshops and they ask Abraham questions. And I listen to Abraham a lot. And to this day, I can't find anything that Abraham teaches that just doesn't sound absolutely in alignment with the way the world works and the way that God designed things. But I will say that in my early stages, some of the things that Abraham Hicks taught butt up against my belief system about being selfish. And so, for example, Abraham's famous for having said, you can be, do, or have anything you want. And the number one most important thing you should care about is how you feel about any given situation or circumstance or relationship. And it should be about how you feel. And it's in 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 a way, people would say, Well, does isn't that selfish? And she goes, Yes, it is selfish. What's wrong with being selfish? And so on on the surface, that really struck me as off-putting originally. But as I've gone through and I understand the deeper meaning of self, first and foremost, and actually understanding what Abraham is saying as a foundational belief is that your emotional state, if you are having a discordant emotional state, meaning that you are experiencing a lower vibrational emotion, such as fear, anger, worry, doubt, guilt, or shame, Abraham is teaching that that just means that you are out of alignment with how your inner being, your higher self, or your or how God is seeing the situation. So basically, your human perception of what you are focused on right now, that you are choosing to be angry 
or upset about, anxious, worried, fearful, all of this other stuff, it's that emotional state just means that you are seeing and perceiving and thinking about this situation in a way that's outside of the perspective of how God is seeing it. Which is why we talk about the levels of consciousness, because if I'm at a level 500, let's say, where I'm closer to a godlike state versus that level 100 and that anger and fear state, I am further away from my peace and harmony and bliss and heaven for lack of a better term and oneness with the mind of christ right yeah so anyway that's abraham hicks so that's my perception of of my original thing with self and selfishness but when i understand there is two selves that i refer to when i'm using the i and i use language like i or me I, there are, you don't know who, there, there are multiple personalities here. Uh, actually, there's the, well, there are multiple person, personalities. I'm one persona over here and in a different group of people. If I want to be in accordance with them and, and not be too far out of alignment and have them have exchange of information, I, I have to kind of mold my persona in some way to be in alignment with them for their purpose of of not rejecting me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you're it's it's the you have to learn how to exist yet not chameleon in a way that you lose yourself in that molding. Yeah. So what I'm speaking of is is there's personas, but all of those personas are a part of what's known as ego. So ego is the it is my belief that I'm a human I am this physical body, I am this mind, I am this person in physical form that you see, that's my ego persona, and it's and my ego is based upon all of my stored memories, all of my beliefs, all of these different things, and it allows me to engage. It's all my beliefs about who I am, this is my ego, and so that sometimes is what I talk about, my, I want this, I want that, and this is what is best for me, and so that's one self, and I call that my... I, I would call that self with a lowercase s. I would agree. And then there is myself, capital S, my higher self, my higher being. And that is the spiritual essence of who I am. Some might call it my soul or spirit or some combination of, of those. But it's the divine spiritual being, the the consciousness that I am that yet while I am still spiritual divine, that being, and that is my true self, my con that consciousness is actually also in physical form concentrated into my lower self and operating this physical being in this space and this time right now. So, for me, what, I, what I'm getting at is selfishness is a good thing as long as the intent is for the lower self to be in alignment with the higher self. Another way of saying that, for me, Cliff Ravenscraft, to be in alignment with how God is calling me to be in the world or my higher self, to see things and to, and to experience things and to live my life in a way that is in alignment with what I believe God would want me to be and interact in the world today. That, for yeah. me, is true selfishness in a positive way. 
Exactly. In Buddhism, I think they teach a way like you have to do everything in a selfless manner, right? So if I'm walking down the street and I give a dollar to a homeless person sitting there, like, did I do a selfless act? Well, I did, but Buddhism would say, but you also got something out of that exchange. So therefore, is it truly a selfless act if you feel good about yourself because you did that? Or because you told another person, hey, I gave this guy on, on the street a dollar today. Like, look at me, right? Now you're pointing the, the story back at yourself. So it's really trying to balance out. I look at it as two things. It's, it's really, number one, trying to understand how do I surround myself with the proper energy to make sure myself is at its highest form so that I can be present and show up on a regular basis for the people that need me in the time, right? That I need to encourage and show up for on a regular basis. And then the second part is, is that I don't alienate those opportunities by doing physical acts in the ego or the, the physical realm that people would deem as, oh, you only care about you, right? You don't want to be like, oh, you're, you don't want to come out with us this, this weekend because you only care about building your Legos or watching your TV shows or whatever it would end up being. It's like, well, no, I'm actually doing those things because I need to recharge so that next weekend when we have this really great um, time at the lake house or whatever, like I can be fully present in that moment without having to think about all of the work I have to do or all of the projects that I have on my plate. Like in, 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 I think it really goes back to the four rules where or the four agreements where you're saying like, it doesn't matter what people are thinking of that I'm doing in that moment because I'm not going to take it personally. Number one, two, they don't know my modus operandi of how I condition my behavior in order to be the best self on a daily basis. And, and I really want to make sure like, you know, I have the ability to have the words to tell people that to say, Hey, no, I'm not being selfish. I'm actually doing this out of care ultimately for, how I show up in the future state down the road. Yeah. You said something there. I'm not being selfish. So my where I've come to on this, Troy, is I try to imagine myself today. Number one, who would say that to me? And number two, would I, and in under what circumstance, would I ever feel the need to actually tell anybody I'm not being selfish? It's a good question. So, because then the next question becomes like, should I be spending time with those people? Not necessarily that question. For me, the question is: is whether I'm being selfish or I'm not being selfish. If somebody is suggesting that I'm being selfish, that has everything to do with what they're thinking, what they're focused on, what they, what meaning they're associating to it. And the fact that they're making a suggestion that I'm selfish, and, and let's just assume what they're, they're giving a negative connotation. They're making a negative assessment of my action or whatever. That's still all, they own all of that. I am responsible mm-hmm. for none of those things. None of those thoughts, none of those beliefs, none of their perception, and none of their judgment do I have any responsibility of. So I'm at a place today where I think about those and I'm like, wow, I can totally understand and appreciate 
your feeling and and expression that what I have chosen for myself is selfish. I accept that for what it is. Now, I'm not saying that I say, I say these words to them. I was like, hmm, thank you so much for your input. I'll, I'll, I, I will keep that under consideration. My answer is still no, though. I'm not going this weekend. I've got some other things I've decided to do. But where I'm at now is I don't feel like there's any need for me to even defend that, you know, let me explain to you why this is not selfish. And most importantly, not only do I not feel that need to explain it to them, once they've actually given me that judgment, I don't feel a need to actually explain to myself why it's not selfish. Because I, be, before, when, when they asked me, hey, do I want to go do this? And I'm like, no, I'm really going to do this. And when I made that decision, I felt in alignment with my inner being that, yeah, Cliff, you totally need to take a break. You've done a lot this week. Uh, you've got a lot next week. This is your time. Uh, definitely. The, the, take some time alone. Build some Legos. Do some thing. Whatever you're going to do. Just chill. And that was perfectly in alignment. There was, no, there was no discord. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was nothing. That was just... Wow, I was like, should I, I think I should just stay, and and that felt good, that means it's in alignment with my inner being, that's, God says, yes, let's rest, recreate, and boom, done. Now, if somebody asks, Cliff, do you want to go and do something? No, I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to do this, I've got some other priorities this weekend, thank you, though, and they said, well, gosh, you man, it seems so self, that, that doesn't change the fact that I've already come to this conclusion with my inner being. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it because you want to honor, and, and I think that's the interesting question, right? When it says honor God above all things, right? One of the first commandments. And then it's like, well, if we're God breathed, right? Our ego, our outer shell, our human form is this clay dust that was formed and God's consciousness was breathed into us, like honoring my essence to have that rest right? Quote, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, if you will, then yeah, it's, it's really a matter of like, your opinion is your opinion. I value your conversation and your thoughts because it directly, you know, views my point of the world. And I appreciate that you're in relationship with me to share that information and hold me accountable because maybe sometimes I'm out of alignment. Maybe sometimes I'm perfectly fine. Um, most of the time I'm going to look at it and say, you know, I've already made that decision now. So I'm not wavering from that decision because that's what I needed for self. I needed for me to recharge and take a break. Yeah. There, there's one, there's only one thing that for me personally was discordant. And what you said is that occasionally I need that accountability and somebody else should, you know, come and tell me when I'm out of alignment. I, I've broken up with that belief personally. I, I, I'm not judging that belief, but I'm just letting you know, just as I heard it, it's like that, ah, that one, I, I don't feel like there's anybody out there that needs to, I mean, I'm more than happy to have anybody say, Cliff, dude, you totally need somebody to hold you accountable. You're going off the rails. You've gone down a dark path. This is, and that's great. And I appreciate that. I, I still can appreciate that. I can be in full alignment but I don't need them to hold me accountable. All I need to do is I need to hear their words of what they're saying. And if what they say 
And all of a sudden, I feel like, oh, maybe I should change. And that feels good, then it's actually, that's in alignment with my inner being and and God. Whereas if they're saying what they're saying, and I'm like, maybe I should change, maybe they're right. And I'm like, and I feel, it's like, oh, wait a second. Maybe not. And so again, it's not them. In, in, in fact, in the, if, in the law of attraction, if you were to believe in the law of attraction, in essence, their judgment is actually something you've attracted from them. It's not something they did to you. It's, a, it, it, it's literally, it's your inner being and it's your energy that is out of alignment that has attracted that judgment to you. And so, in essence, it had very little to do with them. You actually pulled it in by your mm. resonant energy field of being out of alignment and needing some adjustment. Somebody's The universe says, Cliff, you're not just getting this on your own. You're really ego-driven right now. I'll tell you what. Uh, we've been trying to just float a thought that, that maybe you should do this. Maybe we've been trying to guide you a little bit. You know what? I'll tell you what, we'll, we're going to use one of your friends and we're going to divinely channel a message of, th- through them to, to, to guide you. And so, I, I, yeah, yeah it's, in it's a like way, the, I, I think we, we're almost saying the same thing, but there's just something discordant about the idea that I need somebody else to hold me accountable. Yeah, and I think it probably comes from a lot of our earthly world of like fitness accountability, coaching accountability, leadership accountability, all of the corporate stuff that we deal with on a regular basis. There's always like your, we even have, you know, hashtags for them, right? Accountability, accountability buddy. Right. Yeah. Which by the way, I've, I've gotten rid of all of those as well. Right. I, I had a client who we, he signed up with me and he says, Cliff, uh, so we're, we're working together for a whole year and our coaching program is that we meet once a month for 90 minutes, and we do that every month for 12 months. There is no agreement for any exchange in between calls. It, it's like, listen, we're going to have an incredibly powerful 90-minute call. We're going to get to the heart of some of the things that you believe that are causing you to lose, to wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, overwhelmed with anxiety, with your heart beating out of your chest, thinking that you're going to die, having panic attacks just because your business is going through a financial situation right now. All right. So that's that's what this person hired me for. And uh, so we've been, by the way, uh, this person hired me about five months ago. Since then... Uh, he's made a complete decision. I'm shutting down my business. He's sleeping through the night, doesn't have anxiety anymore. He's happier than he's ever been. He's also, we've also addressed a major issue in his marriage. His love tank is full for the first time and it's all his responsibility. No longer does his wife have to give him sex every night. He no longer has to have any external circumstance to be in complete love and have his love tank filled. I mean, so much has changed in his belief system, in his mindset. But when it comes down to some of the things that are going on in his business life, he says, okay, he goes, Clip, but so my, my coaching with him is only $12,000. So first and foremost, let's just say that you can't sleep at night, you feel like you're having heart attacks, uh, it, it's ruining your relationship with your wife, it's ruining your relationship with your kids, you are absolutely frustrated at every single end. If after four months of working with me for one-on-one, do you think it would be $12,000, worth $12,000 just to have that change alone? Hmm. Would you say that would be worth to have that change? 
Well, yeah, because you're going to spend twelve thousand dollars on a hospital bill. Exactly. So, yeah. so in my mind, you know, everything we do for the remaining eight months is just icing on the cake, and we're going to do. Trust me, there's still a lot more that we're going to accomplish. But in this most recent call, the fourth call, he had he says to me, Cliff, he says, Cliff, if there's one criticism I could give for you for your uh, coaching program that I think would be very helpful for people like me, I tend to procrastinate a lot. And I think it would be very helpful if you would just offer like a weekly check-in, you know, some accountability. So just maybe Monday morning, you'd send me a text. And he, cause, cause for example, you know, you and I have these amazing, amazing coaching calls. I have so many insights and there are actions that, that you have, that I have come up with that I know that I need to take. And I know that I could go and look at those things, but I don't. So what would be really great is if every Monday, you would actually check in and send me a WhatsApp message and say, hey, how are things going? Did you do this? And how's this going? And, and what are things going with this? And I sit there, I said, no way on earth would I ever do that to you or anyone else. I'd rather see you fail. Mm. And he's like, what? And I said, I'd rather see you fail because what you're asking me to do is to be responsible for you to take action. So 12 months from now, let's just say for the next eight months, I do this for you once a week, every week. And you're saying that, you know, the fact that, you know, you have so much respect for me that that's going to be what motivates you to do it. Well, if you can't do it because you have respect for yourself and you're only doing it for me, that just makes you codependent on me. And I'm not into codependency. I am not here to make you dependent on me for the next 15 years of your life. So no way on earth would I do that to you. And by the way, what is the difference? Imagine this, what you're asking, and just have you thought about this? So you're saying that you would like me to go into my calendar and put a task, a recurring task every Monday morning devote 15 to 30 minutes to going and reading what are the things that this person that, that this client is supposed to do put that into a, a message send a text to you send it receive your response back and give you some pep talks along the way throughout the week what would be the difference than you setting yourself a reminder to go and do the same thing and pep talk yourself through it And he says, because I don't do it, Cliff. I said, well, let's make that the focus of our next conversation next month. Amen. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. Because you got to, you got to change your mind. You got to like, like much like your fitness journey, right? Which I attribute to my fitness journey. You, you dedicated yourself to say, I'm going to work out for six days a week for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, if Cliff can do it, well, I, I certainly can do it. So it's like, we started biking during the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's all about telling yourself self today's the day. Yeah. That's anyway, amazing. accountability. <laughs> that word gets me fired up sometimes. So um, I, think, I think it's great, though. I mean, account of, we're only accountable to ourselves at the end of the day, because when we end up leaving our ego and our spirit goes back into the consciousness, right? The only person I have to answer for is me. I don't have to answer for anybody else. I'm not the judge. Yeah. There is another thing that I heard um, a little while ago was the idea of the Buddhist idea that, well, you're doing this and it's a selfless act, 
but you're doing it, you know, by doing it, you have, you've received the gift of feeling good as a result of it. And have you, I, I don't know a lot about Buddhism specifically. I, 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 I've watched two or three documentaries, read two or three books, but still there's a lot about Buddhist philosophy I have not picked up yet. But one of the things that I seem to pick up that is a theme among the, the most of the Eastern philosophies, including Buddhism, I believe, is this idea of equanimity. This idea that you neither feel good nor feel bad by any external situation, uh, experience, or relationship. So I had a client yesterday who said, oh my gosh, you know, this is really great because, um, you know, I used to fear all these people who might judge me. And no, and you know what's amazing is I don't have anybody in my life who judges me for this thing that I'm doing for a living. And it's so great to have all of this support from all of my friends. I said, actually, that may be one of the biggest obstacles to, to you achieving what you want to achieve next in your life. And she's like, interesting. what? And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, what you're telling me is one of your fears about coming to where you are right now in your career is that you would have been judged or rejected by others. And that hasn't happened. But instead, you've received a lot of support from your peers and your friend group and your family. And as a result of that, it's given you the courage to come to where you are. But you've come to me because you're ready to go to some next level. And what I'm hearing in it's so good and I feel so good because I have this support means that you are actually putting your ability to feel good on the reactions to other people. So you're saying I feel good because I have the support of these people. Whereas my goal would be to help you to find the ability to feel good regardless if these people support you or not, or regardless if these people reject you or not, or judge you or not. The idea is to feel good because you are perfect, divine, one with your inner being. Right, because we are impeccable with our word and don't take anything personally and don't make assumptions. And so taking things personally is the bad feedback and then don't making assumptions is the good feedback in a way. Like you just have to basically balance those out and just say, I'm just doing stuff. That's exactly. So when, when, a you, when that under, under this circumstance, so maybe you, as a Buddhist, you go out and you do a selfless act. You don't feel good because you did a self, selfless act. Right. You just, you just did good. But you, you would have felt good. You would have felt good regardless had you done the act or not. And feeling is an interesting word because it's a matter of like, how do I feel? Well, it's basically two things in a physical sense, contracting or touching each other. And it's that energy exchange between those two things. So if the self is in existence, right, there shouldn't be. I mean, I'm still interacting with other energy, but I'm part of the energy rather than separated from the energy where two things have to come together to create that spark, Yeah, if you will. So this reminds me of this phrase, be in the world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. So put your consciousness into the physical being, but don't let how you feel be of the physical being. 
Right. Only align your the feeling of your physical being with the energy of me, your higher self, or God. Hence the don't have any other gods before me. That's exactly it. Equanimity. I am at peace, love, and joy, regardless if these people support me or reject me or judge me. I'm at peace, love, and joy, whether I'm incredibly successful with this launch of this product or service for my business or it fails miserably and I'm like going to go into debt this month because of it. I'm at peace, love, and joy regardless if I'm in great, amazing health and the number on the scale is impressive to everyone or I'm at peace, love, and joy even if I've gotten off track and I said I never would and people are going to think, well, he's lost all his credibility. I'm at peace, love, and joy because I'm one with my inner being and that is really my true essence. It's my objective. If you are ever overburdened, if you are ever weary Uh, worn down, come to me, be in yoke with me, I will give you rest for your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first to be in alignment with me. Do not worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is holy, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. Be one with me. See things the way I see them. Be one with me. Seek first this. Be anxious about nothing. Do not fear. Do not worry. Be one with me. Be in the world, not of it. Love it. And it's all stuff that we've been talking about for our 45 plus years of fundamentalist evangelical upbringing. (laughs) That's been there the whole time. Just we've been listening to man instead of God himself. Yeah. Or herself or itself or theirselves or whatever <laughs> pronoun you want to put on these days. <laughs> I love it. Troy, I I love this conversation and I I'm thrilled to hear that you're out there. What what is what is where do you find your growth on the spiritual side of things today? What where do, what sources do you turn to um in in any area for inspiration these days? Yeah, I mean Education is always a good thing. So uh, did a lot of Michael Singer recently. Um, just trying to find other people that speak godly yet are not aligned with the Protestant fundamental evangelical upbringing that we've always uh, come from before. Um, I also think that a lot of time in nature. So for me, when when Cliff said, I'm going to work out six days a week, I was like, well, I can work out too. Um, I got on my bike because I'm only believe that running is from when being chased by bears or alligators. Um, and I got on my bike and every morning I get to see this amazing sunrise every day. Like I'm out there either walking or biking and I get to see the sun come up and I just go, wow, like every day is different. The sky looks different. The sun looks different. It still happens, but every day is a new possibility. And to start your day every day that way, I think is really the, the best thing you can do for yourself is just be one with, not the physical world, but the energy you get to experience in that visual masterpiece that happens, you know, and then with, with that, then your energy and yourself as you're charging and going down the street and biking and pulling that through and then bring a friend along and then bring four friends along. And the next thing you know, you're biking across the state of Michigan for an entire day. Yeah. I love that. 
it's being in nature has been like a major source of inspiration for me. I, I've been out in the wilderness more than ever before. Stephanie and I just got back from Sedona, Arizona. That was amazing. We yeah, went your out. tree story that you were talking about in a previous episode. Yeah. I was just thinking about the, the other day as my friend was sending me a picture. She was standing next to a willow tree and she said, and it, and it felt like the branch behind me just came up and brushed my back. Yeah, And I was just like, yeah, because the tree was saying like, hey, you're touching my trunk. I'm letting you know I'm here too. I love it. I love it. Troy, it's awesome. Uh, if folks wanted to find more about you and, and see some of the things you're doing in the world, what would you like them to know about? Um, yeah, the biggest thing for me, I think right now, um, we just finished a 10-year run of a podcast for the Blacklist Exposed. So I would normally say go check that out. Um, but really, um, Linktree, right? Just go to linktr.ee slash Troy Heinrichs. That's Heinz Ketchup, Ritz Crackers, No Z in the Middle, and Aired in Either Fortune. And um, I'll, I'll tell you what, is, why don't I just put a link to that in the show yeah, notes? In the show notes. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's got everything. There's actually, you know, one of the things I took from you way back in the day is that I actually put a contact form on that site. So it's like if you ever want to have a uh, communal experience with me, there's just a simple like drop your name, phone number, email. Um, I keep a spreadsheet and just the last thing we talked about. So if we ever run into each other, I'm like, hey, remember that last thing we talked about? And then we can start up that conversation again because our our energy is always ongoing and never a finite destination. I love that. I'll put a link to that in there. Thank you so much for coming on to an episode of Encouraging Others Through Christ. And I look forward to future opportunities for us to connect and maybe even some of the EOTC gatherings that we have. Yeah, I'd love to love to be there. It's an amazing journey that you're on. I'm glad you put up your Facebook post and we're boldly able to do that and just share as you always are. And um, I just love everything that we do and that we can take all of our energy to the next level. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, if you are on a spiritual awakening and you'd like to be notified when we have these special live events, these live gatherings, both on the internet and also some coming up in the future in person, make sure you get on the mailing list over at awakening.cliffravenscraft.com. That'll be linked in the show notes as well. And until next time, we encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset. Answer me!